Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Before the meeting started, watch. You are a no unless there's actual concrete legislative text that you support. Yes. So, and, but we, we need to we need to keep the promise that was made. We've been very clear. We need to see the two bills simultaneously move together. Yep. If there is urgency in getting this done, the senators need to understand that urgency as well and move as urgent as they want us to move so that we can get the two legislation obstructionist ilhan omar the joe mansion of minnesota that she is obstructionist she doesn't want to get this bill done she just wants to sit there and posture holy cow now this is all this has been the whole day guys You've got Joe Biden desperately trying to get through this infrastructure package, which is not infrastructure. So we all are perfectly clear, and we have been discussing this. So everybody's on board. And they tried to get the $3.5 trillion package through, but they couldn't convince Mansion or Cinema, and they were like, oh no. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. <laughs> Then the House Progressives, House of, uh, House of Representatives, said, well, you're not going to pass the $3.5 trillion. We're not going to pass the $1.2 trillion, which is the bipartisan bill. That was done out of spite. The Progressives said, sorry, led by Pramila Jayapal of Washington State. And they told Congress. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. Sing it, Ari. Not bad. Not bad. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. So now they're doing round two. What's left out of all this is something we've been discussing. This is about the Democrats failing to do their job. They have the House, they have the Senate, they have the presidency. They can't get it done. This is about the fracture of them. And if there was a media worth their salt, they'd be engaged in this conversation. We turn now to the media. That's about right. This is a bad look. The bad things happening. And so they gathered together this morning. 9 a.m. The president's going to meet with the caucus and work this all out. They supposedly, allegedly, according to sources, have a framework for their new spending bill, which they call a social spending bill, which is at least honest because it's not infrastructure. That's a $1.75 trillion bill, which is more than Joe Manchin wanted. And supposedly includes $1.995 trillion in tax hikes. I say supposedly because, well, no one's seen it. But before this meeting happened, people like Pramila Jayapal, Washington State Congresswoman, leader of the Progressive Caucus, is like, I, I don't even know what we're meeting for. If there isn't a deal, which is what I'm still hearing, that we don't have agreement of Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema on a framework, even on a framework, much less on legislative text, then I'm not sure what the president is going to present to us. We have been very clear that this is 
we have been standing up for the 85 percent of the president's agenda that is in the Build Back Better Act. And that the two bills, the only reason people were willing to vote for the infrastructure bill, which has some good things in it. But for many people who care about climate, they see this as a net negative for climate. And so the way that we were able to get people to say they would vote for a bill that only 12 senators you know, drafted, but the House has not had any ability to weigh in, is to pair it with the Build Back Better Act. And that's why the two have to stay together. And we the two have to stay together because it's being it's a it's a hostage negotiation. It's a hostage negotiation is the only way to describe it. It doesn't have to come together. That's the lie. That's the great lie. Notice I didn't say the big lie because that's about going utilizing the Holocaust for your political advantage. I think that's pretty disgusting. This is a great lie they're telling. So we don't know how this is going to work out. We do know that if you take a look at what they're saying about this $1.75 trillion deal, they want to do a tax on stock buybacks. They want to keep going after the uh, tax dodgers. But child tax, cre- child tax credit, universal preschool, Medicaid expansion are in there. Nothing to do with infrastructure. Not in the plan. Paid for community college, paid family leave, and other policies. And let me say for the record, I am absolutely against a federal uh, decree on paid family leave. I oppose it with every part of my being. It's absolutely wrong. It is wrong. But if a company wants to do it, I think it's a fantastic benefit that might get you a lot of people to come your way and feel great loyalty towards you. See, see how easy that is? You don't need force. You need to offer a better deal. That's all. You just need to offer a better deal. So this is, this is a bad spot for the Democrats right now. This is a bad, bad spot for them to be in. Because there's no faith that they've got this. There is no faith that they have this handled. None. And let us be clear, they aren't able to come together as a party. Because they're not one party. This is where the rubber meets the road. They are the Democrats and they are the progressives. Now, the Democrats are actually progressives, but there are things where they still pretend to be Democrats. The progressives are progressives, and they have absolutely no willingness to hide. They are not going to engage any level of, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not, not agreement. Um, what's the thing when you, when, you, when you work on something and you come up with a better deal? Compromise. That's the word I was looking for. They don't believe in compromise. They see no value in compromise. What they see is value in winning. You know, this got brought up the other day. Uh, will, will Democrats, it was somebody wrote that Democrats are in a catch-22. They're either going to push the things that are not popular with America or push the things that are not popular with progressives. And the answer is they're going to push the things not popular with America. They are the progressives. The progressives have the control. The progressives have the power. And Speaker Pelosi might be trying uh, desperately to to keep hold of everything. Uh, But she doesn't have it. 
She absolutely positively does not have it. This was Representative Debbie Dingell of Michigan earlier today on CNN talking about this bill. Uh, one of the uh, challenges uh, is this morning when the president is expected to come to our Democratic caucus at 9 o'clock is nobody knows, and I'm not even sure the speaker knows, what's in the bill, what's out, what the revenue sources are going to be. It has been an agreement. The revenue sources in this bill will cover all will cover all of the new programs. This will not add to the debt. Now we need to know what's going to be in the bill. And there are, you know, first of all, I want to say everybody wants to call this total chaos. People are divided. We're united on our value. We all know failure is not an option. You're not united. That's not true. But it is nice to hear you say, as of this morning, we don't know what's in this bill. They're going to agree to something they don't know what is in it. This, you are having flashbacks to Obamacare. We have to pass the bill so you can find out what is in it. You're, that you're, you're not out of your head. This is real. Very, very, very real. So what are we expecting? What will we get? And remember, when they talk about being paid for, it won't add to the debt. That's they're saying it's $1.75 trillion, but we've got $1.995 trillion in, 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 in pay-fors. That's tax increases. First, you're getting the tax increase via inflation. Now you're going to get a tax increase here. Of course you're going to get a tax increase. Do you really believe they can hold firm? No one, no one believes this. So I, I, if, if you're asking, Tony, you've spent a fair amount of time on this. Why, why do you keep going over it? Because there's a story here that they're not telling. And I don't want that story to go by the wayside. This has shown the division in the Democratic Party that simply doesn't, you don't come back from. Now, I've made the argument that there are no Democrats. There are only progressives. Even when you look at Joe Manchin, if you really take a look at what's been going on, he didn't want $3.5 trillion in spending. That doesn't mean he doesn't favor an overall in a bunch of different ways $3.5 trillion in spending. If you're okay with $1.5 trillion, you're still okay with a massive amount of spending. Upon the trillions we've already spent, never mind the bond buying and everything else that's going on that's furthering the inflation issue. So he's not a conservative, and he's not uh, so much fiscally responsible. Now, is he? He's okay with these policies. If you're okay with these policies, you're telling us who you are. You're letting us know for sure. I want to share with you some of what Speaker Pelosi had to say. She had a press conference. How she's going to spin this is really, really important for us to understand. And I, I, I want to bring it to you. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. So it may not have been as described on the set of the movie Rust with Alec Baldwin because the sheriff is saying that the armor is not making an accurate statement. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The sheriff in the case, Dan Mendoza, Santa Fe County Sheriff, 
is saying almost point blank he doesn't believe the statement from the armor. And you should expect some charges to happen. It was in the search warrant that the armor, right? That's the person in charge of the gun. We know that the gun was held by Alec Baldwin. It was fired. It hit uh, the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins. She was killed. It then came to rest, the projectile, in the shoulder of Joel Souza. It was a live round. It was a live round on a set, and Gutierrez-Reed, this armor, had said that there should have been no live ammunition on the set at all. But we already know that there were people utilizing the firearms for target practice with live ammo. So you're telling us there should have been none, but there was. So it's possible you didn't know you were the armor and you didn't know. Then how did the ammunition get onto the uh, onto the set? According to the sheriff during a press conference, in addition to the bullet taken from Sousa's shoulder, investigators found 500 rounds of ammunition, a mix of blanks, dummy rounds, and what appeared to be live rounds. Am I going to find out? Because, look, I, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I'm not a gun guy. I've always been very, very clear. Uh, about this am i going to hear am i going to find out that they look so much alike the armorer could not tell because that's the gross negligence you can't do that job and not be able to tell the difference or say you know what i can't tell throw everything out all gone let's get it properly destroyed or whatever and we'll get fresh stuff According to the affidavit, the armor says uh, that she checked the weapon that Baldwin fired to ensure it was only filled with dummy rounds. When the crew broke for lunch, this is what the affidavit supposedly says, she personally locked the gun and others in a safe in a nearby prop truck. She also says at that time she claims ammo was left out on a cart on the set and not secure. Ammo is also inside the prop truck. Now, there's going to be a conversation about whether or not ammo should be properly secured on a movie set. I would assume that it is. I would assume that that's the way it's supposed to be. Properly secured. One one would think that the same. And during the course of filming, the armorer had handed the gun directly to Baldwin a few times and also handed it to the first assistant director, David Halls. So as we know the story, Gutierrez hands it to Halls, Halls hands it to Baldwin, and none of the three of them checked to make sure what was in there. How did the live ammunition get to the set? All that is happening. But it, you have now these, these doubts about what has already been told to us about this story. I still argue that Baldwin has culpability. He has culpability in this. But so do the others. And I will also argue that, yes, indeed, this is going to change the way some movies run and and work you're already seeing television series saying no more no more live guns no no more guns of any kind uh it'll all be props and everything's gonna be cgi okay you can make that decision you can make that call but those people made a series of mistakes and you work with professionals
And I don't I don't think the, the the call is very valuable. I don't think it's very necessary in the slightest. I think this is about attacking again guns and gun owners when that's not the issue. The issue here is of course how they acted. But if you don't want to actually get into that, if you don't want to get into how people acted and, and what they did wrong, well then you'll 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 find something to blame it on. That seems obvious. But that's not the only story going on out there. It's not the only bad headline. I've got worse. Your car's seatbelt. Safety miracle or decapitation nightmare? What is the connection between rain and farming? The answer may surprise you. Heroin, sex, machine guns, flamethrowers, murder. There's no story here. We've just found that ratings go up when we say those words. It's time for the worst headline of the day. From the Miami Herald, a Miami model posed in front of her dad's open casket. Some people didn't click like. I saw these photos yesterday and I didn't know what it what it was. Except it was just a really attractive woman. What what was in looked like a school, looked like a classroom. Nope. When you take a closer look, there's an open casket. And there is her father in the open casket. And there she is taking the glamour shots. Um, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. People grieve in their own way. I, 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 I wouldn't criticize it. I, just, I don't know the relationship and I don't know how people react. So it is what it is. There is a photo... <laughs> There is a photo of her in front of the casket, bare shoulder, one leg up, trying to show off the curves, and you can see her father's folded hands behind him, behind her. I don't think this is a conversation about people uh, uh, grieving in their own way, Producer Ari. I don't know. I, I, I've seen weird things before. We've, we've, we've lost a little focus. I didn't say that day she couldn't have taken some modeling shots. That would be grieving in your own way. In front of the open casket? I'm not saying it's not weird, because it is weird. Um, we, 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 we've lost ourselves. We lost ourselves. That's all. And we need to find ourselves right quick. Right Right quick. Goodness gracious. I'm Tony Katz, Facebook Tony Katz Radio. One of the news reports cited in that letter, which you presumably mean, is from Loudoun County, Virginia. No, that's Scott, not. That is not um, uh, what I was talking about. Well, it, about. you keep citing news reports, and yeah. that's the most prominent news report that anyone in America has seen. That refers to Scott Smith, whose 15-year-old daughter was raped. She was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up. 
because it would have interfered with their transgendered policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? Senator, anyone whose uh, child was raped as, uh, is a, the most horrific crime I can imagine and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to protest to their school board about that. But he was cited is, by the school board association that's fine, as a domestic not, terrorist, which we now know that letter and those reports were the basis for your... No, this, no, is, Senator, this is that's wrong. Shameful. Judge, that's, this is shameful. This, here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Okay, that's not. Th thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You that, should resign in disgrace, Judge. That's Senator Tom Cotton laying it down on the Attorney General Merrick Garland in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. When you listen to the testimony yesterday from at least the Republicans. It, it, I got the take that it was more than just a posturing. They're really disgusted at what it is Merrick Garland has done in politicizing the Department of Justice and going after American citizens, parents, others who want to speak out about what school boards are doing. This letter from the National, uh, you know, the School Board Association we think these are domestic terrorists. And when you've got uh, the, the attorney general then saying, we'll keep an eye on these things, he's agreeing that he thinks parents are terrorists. And there's a question as to what it's done to parents. So I reached out to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And I asked him about this and said, you know, you take a look at what a lot of these senators had to say, these Republican senators, I'll get into where the Democrat senators were. That's a whole different thing. You, you take a look at where these Republican senators were. You know, it's about the silencing of parents and really the DOJ being utilized in, in this way, in this partisan way, as a tool to intimidate and to silence parents. And I, I asked William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, do you believe that's what took place? Absolutely. This was a totally political act. We now know that the White House had communications with the National School Board Association before the letter came in. We now know that Merrick Garland acted within a matter of days over a weekend after the memo came in. That doesn't happen normally. And then the memo was put out there. And while he can get up there and say, well, we're only talking about threats, what other protest movements is he issuing such memos about? Okay, he's not. And so this was a shot across the bow of a rising movement in the country, which uh, is par a parental movement trying to create the argument for local officials to use that they are threats and they are potential terrorists. So that's what it was clearly intended to do. That's what it did. It may not actually have that impact because there's such big pushback, but whether it has the impact or not is irrelevant. This was an attempt to demonize millions, maybe tens of millions of parents. This was an attempt to give political cover to local, mostly Democrat left-wing school board people who um, have been claiming that parents have no right to get up there and protest against what they're doing to the children in schools. Now let's make sure we, 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 we dig a, a little bit deeper here. It seems that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, got the letter from the National School Board Association and then wrote the memo. 
One of the questions he was asked about is, had he done any investigation into the claims of the letter from the National School Board Association calling parents domestic terrorists, talking about violence across the country? And did they, he find any of those claims credible? As in his own words, he never did an investigation. So it does seem that he took the words of the School Board Association on its face and then decided to engage the Justice Department in this, uh, in, in this basically attack on parents as I see it, the question before us is, is there something in there, we, we could certainly describe possibly as sinister, but is, is there something in there that can give Republicans cause to try to get him removed? Well, I would strongly urge that if Republicans retake the House in 2022, uh, and if he's still attorney general, that they consider impeaching him. It's never been done to an attorney general, but this is completely outrageous. I mean, this is the complete politicization of the FBI and the Department of Justice for, you know, for no good reason. He can't even point to a reason why he issued this other than somebody wrote him a letter. And if you read that letter, almost all of the incidents they're talking about are simple protests. I mean, somebody getting up at a microphone and raising their voice is not a threat of violence. And if it were, they could have local police deal with it. Why is the federal government injecting itself into a non-issue when it comes to a federal law enforcement perspective? Why are they injecting themselves into this? Why are they issuing a memo? Why are they targeting parents? And I'll tell you exactly why they're doing it, because it's completely political now over there at the top echelon. And this parents movement is a huge threat to Democrats. It is a cross um, political movement. There are Democrat parents who are just as upset about what's happening in schools as Republican parents. So this crosses over from Republican to Democrat. This is a cross-racial and cross-ethnic movement. There are many, you know, non-white uh, uh, protesters. There are many uh, communities where parents, uh, where non-white communities, where parents are furious at what's happening in the schools. The largest growth in homeschooling this past year has been among black families pulling their kids out of public schools. So this is an issue which is a, an almost an existential threat to the Democratic Party uh, in 2022. And so this is really bad stuff that he did, and he needs to be held accountable. To it. Some of the senators called on him to resign, and, and I think he should resign, too. This is completely inexcusable. It is so far beyond what Bill Barr ever did. Yet remember how vitriolic the media was towards Bill Barr when he didn't do anything. He didn't attack anybody. He didn't do anything uh, in terms of you know uh, trying to scare people with uh, political p- talking points. So I think that, you know, it's completely inexcusable. And I think it was maybe Tom Cotton, maybe it was somebody else said, and it said what I've said many times at Legal Insurrection the past few months. Thank goodness this guy is not on the Supreme Court. And thank you, Mitch McConnell, for keeping him off. That was Senator Tom Cotton. I have said the same as well. Talking to William Jacobson of LegalInsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor. So much of this is playing at a time when we see what's going on, we see what's going on with school boards everywhere. We have our issues in central Indiana. They have issues in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They have issues in Atlanta, Georgia. But so much of the conversation is focused on Loudoun County, Virginia, where we know now that there was a sexual assault of a student. 
We know that it got covered up by the superintendent, by the school board, ostensibly uh, that it was to protect the transgender community. Well, I still have a touch of time here. You've got the article over at LegalInsurrection.com written by uh, Terry Kristoff, uh, a friend of, uh, of both of ours. Students who staged this walkout. Is this a school board that's prepared to pack it in and say, yep, we have failed on critical race theory, we failed to listen to parents, and we lied, it's time to walk away? Or are these people, like all school boards, or is it emblematic of all school boards, where they're dug in and they're not going anywhere? I think they're dug in, and I think that's what you see in the most radical school boards across the country. They view their life as being an activist, and they are now in a position of power, and they're not going to give it up. And they think the unions will ride them through this, and they very well might. We see it in Rhode Island. The unions are 100% behind the critical race theory push in schools. The unions are 100% behind attacking parents who speak out. So I think a lot of these school boards figure this is something that's going to blow over. This is just a protest movement that's going to burn itself out. And a year or two from now, we'll still be here. And if it comes to a vote in the community, the unions will get their people out because very few people show up for these these elections for school board. So if the union can turn out, you know, a few hundred extra people, that's probably the difference. So I think there is a level of arrogance here that is matched, um, really not matched anywhere else in the country in terms of these local radicalized School board. So I think they probably think they're just going to ride out the storm with some help from the federal government and from the unions. So I want to dig into more about that arrogance. And I do appreciate William Jacobson, Cornell Law professor, being with us, legalinsurrection.com. The arrogance piece, I thought, came from Senator Dick Durbin, who, as producer Ari loves to hear me say, so aptly named. Dick Durbin before we heard from Merrick Garland, really engaged a defense of what he's doing. Democrats rallying to the defense of Merrick Garland because they are rallying around the idea that parents should not get involved in education. We're hearing this from Terry McAuliffe all the time. It's all Terry McAuliffe is saying. He's caught, this is the guy who's running for governor in in Virginia. So many times, on camera, so many times, speaking clearly about the fact that parents should not have a say in education. It's it's unbelievable. He has been caught in this and can't escape, and he keeps falling into the trap. It's nuts. But Democrats are really rallying around Merrick Garland, and Merrick Garland really is a bad dude, and I agree with, with Tom Cotton. I've said it before. Good on... Mitch McConnell for keeping Merrick Garland off the court. We are all better off because of it. But listen to Dick Durbin, the senator from Illinois, come to the rescue of Merrick Garland and school boards. I went on and just typed in this morning school board violence on one of the search engines. Page after page is coming up. In my state of Illinois, Minden, Illinois, is a small rural town in Adams County, the western part of our state that I have represented for almost 40 years. It is a quiet, solid community, and yet they had their own instance at a school board meeting 
where an individual had to be arrested because he had threatened violence against the school board members over masks in schools, for example. The story is repeated over and over again. The state of Minnesota, Senator Klobuchar knows the story well. The state of Idaho, we are seeing violence at these school board meetings in an unprecedented number. I don't believe, I think you made it clear, that, and you don't believe, that we should infringe on free speech. But free speech does not involve threats and violence, period. And we ought to join with local law enforcement officials to protect the school board members who are being intimidated in this way. What about the parents who are being intimidated? You don't favor intimidation? That's great. Neither do I. But how can you say this in front of the guy who's intimidating parents all across the country? Dick Durbin has no place for that because he doesn't actually care if you get intimidated. That seems to be the leftist position. I think it's a bad position. You should care. We should not want people intimidated, not people threatened. We should not have acts of violence. We should be be able to speak clearly to our school board. And when a school board says, well, if you raise your voice or bring a sign that's violence, the school board is wrong and they should be dismantled. Instead, the school board association says domestic terrorists. The Justice Department agrees by going along with this. And Dick Durbin defends that action of bullying and intimidation of the citizen. Of course, it's the politicization of the DOJ and the people who are pushing for Merrick Garland to be out are right. And this is what happens when you vote for Joe Biden. So let's not do that anymore. I'm Tony Katz. I don't know which one I like more. I really don't. Uh, do, do I like more the video of a crowd in Chicago where they're introducing Mayor Lori Lightfoot as a speaker? Or do I like more a crowd in Indianapolis? Which they made claim it was from a Pacers-Raptors game, but it wasn't because this is in Indianapolis and the Pacers and Raptors played in Toronto and the Pacers lost big and it's so far been a a rough start uh, to the season in round two of the Carlisle uh, era. But this happened. Which one I like more? I'm I'm I'm, I'm confused. Uh, Ari, is, is there one you like more than the other? I've always thought the Let's Go Brandon chant was a little juvenile, so I'll take the Lori Lightfoot booing. Right, the standard operational booing of an elected official. I first, I, I think it's important uh, to say that I I I don't like the idea of 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 the arenas chanting this cursing and everything else. I just I don't, but why not? If you if you want to voice your displeasure, what could be more uh, harmless than this? Although I'll tell you that it's become such a thing to do. You, you guys know what Let's Go Brandon is, right? 
It's an interview with a reporter and a, and a NASCAR driver named Brandon Brown. He wins a race. Uh, she's interviewing him, and the crowd is chanting, Blank Joe Biden. And so she says, and listen to that crowd uh, chanting, Let's go, Brandon. How does that make you feel? They weren't chanting, Let's go, Brandon. That's, that's, that's not what they were chanting. And maybe she knew it, maybe she didn't. It doesn't matter. Let's go, Brandon has become a meme, and it's amazing. I think people do it now because they're in a large crowd. You might as well do it. Right, I think it's just one of those things you do. I don't think that they're actually talking about Joe Biden. But it is about voicing displeasure. They're not happy. And I had somebody send me, I, I had shared this on, on Twitter at Tony Katz, and someone sent me the Electoral College revo- results that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump. And I'm like, do you, do you not understand what's happening here? America's telling you something. And you want to send me what, what happened in the election? Okay, but you're not dealing with the now, you're dealing with the then. I mean, and a tweet that obtuse, you could work at the White House. I didn't get to share the uh, the Nancy Pelosi audio with you. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll dig into it tomorrow. I promise. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, everything at TonyKatz.com. I'm Tony Katz. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.